Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Gentlemen, you are the top 1% of all naval aviators. The elite. Best of the best. We'll make it better. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. In case some of you wonder who the best is, they're up here on this plaque on the wall. You think your name's going to be on that plaque? Yes, sir. That's pretty arrogant, considering the company you're in. Yes, sir. I like that in the pilot. I feel the need. The need for speed. Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Top Gun. Starring Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards, and Tom Skerritt. Directed by Tony Scott. So you're the one. It's fair. Hello everyone and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast, <laughs> where we look back at the seminal films of our past and see if they still hold up today. I'm your co-host Gally, call sign Suvlaki from Glasgow. And this is Devlin, call sign Yankee Doodle Floppy Disk, I'm in London. <laughs> oh, I've not got a call sign. <laughs> um, hello, this is Patrick, call sign Wags, coming from London. How are you all doing, boys? You're right. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good, thank, well, you. thank you. It's good to have you back, Patrick. Yeah, sorry, I've missed you on your little uh, little projects. I'll say to the audience, I wasn't invited, so I'm not bitter about that at all. So there you go. Friends, <laughs> very good friends. <laughs> <laughs> and today, Gally, what have you got for us? It's Top Gun, isn't it, today? It is. It's a throwback. It's my choice, and it's the 1986 film Top Gun. Uh, and I've got to say, this one is dear to my heart. My dad used to rent it all the time on video, and I just kept going back to it, especially in my young teenage days. Right, here's a bit of a confession. I used to want to be Maverick. Uh, Not necessarily a fighter pilot, but I loved his brash confidence and his sort of disregard for authority. And what I kind of recognized when I was watching this again is I think when I went to film school, I may have been channeling Maverick a bit. <laughs> Luckily, I've, I've grown up uh, somewhat, and I'm no longer a well, grinning arsehole. You didn't arsehole, the teacher, so w- what else did you do? I think I tried, though. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, Laura, if you're listening, sorry. But yeah, this, one, this one's important, and I'm really, really looking forward and excited uh, going into Top Gun. Uh, what about you guys? What about you, Devon? Any, any thoughts on this one? I saw Top Gun when I was a kid, I assume. Although I don't really remember a great deal about watching it as a kid. I, I do remember watching uh, a shitload of Hot Shots. So I, I, I kind of feel like watching <laughs> Top Gun was just like you needed to watch Top Gun once. And that way you could enjoy watching Hot Shots repeatedly. If we're doing a throwback on that, I must have watched that a hundred times. I know Top Gun. I know Top Gun is a cultural reference like everyone else does. I'm not super familiar with it as a film, or at least wasn't until I, I, I rewatched it over the last week or so. Um, how about you, Patrick? I think similar, actually, to you, Devlin. It, it wasn't a film that um, 
was particularly struck me when I was younger. I don't think I watched it till I was in my later teens. And I don't believe I've watched it since until now. Oh, wow. Um, and I do, I think I'm more familiar with the cultural references. Like, um, I don't know whether you remember, Empire do that, um, that, that little short film competition they did a while ago. And that was the last time it was really brought to my attention because someone won that competition. They did um, their own version of Top Gun. So you have to do it in 60 seconds, I think. And um, it did really well. It was a really well-made little kind of competition piece, if you've not seen it. I'll oh, no, I'll, I'll dig that out then, yeah. Um, it's really cool, actually. And, of course, I, <laughs> I remember, I think... I might save this till we get to the scene, but the volleyball scene is um, <laughs> is very. Uh, I remember that kind of playing a part when I was a teenager as well because I had a bit of a laugh with that taking the piss out of someone. But um, I watched it the other day with I watched Top Gun the other day with my friend Ash. Um, I'll just drop this in here. Just post London Marathon, we thought we'd watch Top Gun, and he he was very uh, fond of this film so much so that he's been to visit the. The house, you know, the teacher. Of, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've forgotten yeah. her name. Because apparently it's a really important kind of landmark in LA now that uh, that a lot of people visit and it's been cordoned off and it's full of graffiti and people try and break in and have house parties. <laughs> so it's a really, really popular kind of location. And he was telling me all about that. Oh, and the music. I, I do remember the music a lot as well. Of course, of course. God, killer soundtrack. For those of you who have not seen Top Gun, what have you been doing all your lives? But would you like the plot uh, very much so is there one yes <laughs> lieutenant pete mitchell call sign maverick is a cocky grinning naval aviator along with his rio and best friend goose they are off to the danger zone at top gun where the best of the best go to hone their elite flying skills once at the school maverick must compete with the cool and calculating Iceman to determine who's the best and win the coveted top gun trophy maverick isn't only competing to be the top fighter pilot He's also fighting for the attention of his beautiful flight instructor, Charlotte Blackwood, call sign Charlie. Maverick doesn't follow the rules. He flies on instinct, never staying with his wingman. And after a tragic accident in the air, Goose dies and Maverick loses all of his self-belief. Blaming himself, he quits Top Gun and finishes with Charlie. But after learning the truth about his father, he gets back in the saddle to keep playing with the boys and give the finger to the enemy mix, saving Iceman and getting the girl <laughs> well done well done playing with the boys was i tip of the cap to you there so not a problem although you said a trophy i don't remember there being a trophy galley explain yourself uh, there is a trophy however in the real top gun there is no trophy um oh. but yes there is a uh, there is an artificial plot device in order to you know increase the dramatic stakes uh, and there is a trophy, you know, you know, the scene in the briefing where they talk about the names on the plaque and there is a little ch- Top Gun trophy. Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, did you watch the film? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I forgot. I didn't really take that as a trophy, though, just as the name. Anyway. No, no, there's an actual trophy. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there is a, lit- a literal trophy. <laughs> Congratulations on winning Navy. Well, just, just going on the simplicity of the plot, then, just to start off things and going into the character of Maverick. Maverick's a very on-the-nose name, isn't it? Truth no, they've not. Yeah, they've. I think I think a lot of the call signs are. I mean, I'd look at Sundown <laughs> and think that there's a literal interpretation <laughs> of that call sign. Oh, is it? I like. I do like the names. If we could just go through some of them. What is it? Maverick, Iceman, Goose, Viper, Jester, Cougar, Wolfman. This is my favourite. 
Slider. <laughs> slider. We like Slider. Hollywood. Uh, Tim Robbins. Merlin. Merlin. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Calling the character Maverick seems to be the extent of the characterization that they extended to Tom Cruise's yeah. character. Let's start with the film. We are on an aircraft carrier. Slow motion. Gradiated filters. This is a big um, feature of the film. Is I think they've got they use the tobacco filter yeah. quite a lot with the you know like so the top end. What the filter will do is make the top half of the screen look like um, a lot warmer mm-hmm. and just accentuate the sundown, whereas the bottom half is clear, so that you get a nice contrast there, which they use a lot in the film. But I really like this opening credits. I think it's really cool and sets the scene and yeah. Tells you where that, you're at. That with first piece kind of music of... is really um, anticipatory. Mm, it's great. And then it's sort of it, it's warming you up, and then it kicks in with the with the big riff, which you will hear again and again and again. They basically play Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone, I think it's four times. Yeah. It might be five, actually. Just to go back to the aesthetic, Tony Scott, younger brother of Ridley Scott, normally, not, not to say he's maligned, but very much put in the category of kind of a workman-like director. He doesn't necessarily have the sort of the cachet of his older brother. But I think that's quite unfair because Tony Scott, creates this aesthetic and this aesthetic is the Bruckheimer Simpson aesthetic. We see it in Bad Boys, we see it in The Rock, yeah. we see it in um Armageddon. You know, this is the genesis of of the Bruckheimer Simpson look. I mean he's he's yeah. I, I certainly remember on um Hot Fuzz that uh that was a, a big thing for Edgar Wright where he would just say, Yeah, just make everything look like Tony Scott did it, which <laughs> exactly, yeah. which is great. It means, you know, he, he codified an aesthetic for a certain type of film. There's not many directors that have that. Well, you get no Michael Bay, would you? Absolutely. Kinetic energy, slick edits, camera movement, loads of backlighting. Loads of sweaty people as well. Everyone's sweaty all the time. A good comparison between what you just said there is, is maligned Tony Scott versus Ridley Scott. Are you aware of the Apple commercial that he shot in the 80s? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tony Scott. He did the one that was Lemmings, and Ridley Scott did the one that was 1984, you know, the George Orwell kind of play on that. Mm-hmm. Make sure 1984 is not like 1984. And the contrast there, I think, signifies their careers. Like Ridley Scott's commercial was lauded and, you know, it became the biggest commercial ever. It was awards and everyone loved it. And then Tony did it two years later he did his version which when i watch it i'm i'm quite wowed by i think it's really you know visually it's what you expect from tony scott and it it, it sends out a message but everyone hated it at the time and it did nothing and it was blamed for the failure of the apple product at the time he had a really good run from top gun i mean listen beverly hills cop 2 is not a great film but it was a successful film you have like i said the last boy scout true romance uh, and then, I mean, do you remember Enemy of the State I used with Will to, Smith? I used to really it's, like a, that it's a good, it's a really good action version of the conversation. I mean, don't get me wrong, 
it's got nothing to say, but as a nuts and bolts ABC plot, it really does do the trick. And uh, I, I think the more films that Ridley Scott makes, the more maybe he's chipping away at his kind of critical darling mm. uh, status. And actually, you know what? They weren't that far apart. Anyway, Top Gun. So you were right, Devlin. We go straight into The Danger Zone, performed by Kenny Loggins. <laughs> and, uh, and this is where Bruckheimer and Simpson, so they've just come off Flashdance. The importance of a soundtrack within the 80s. This film is flooded with music and to great effect, I think. And, um, and they, they carried um, uh, Howard Faltermeyer over from, uh, from Beverly Hills Cop 2. So you have, uh, rather than a, a more traditional orchestral score, you've got those Howard Faltermeyer keys geeing up the, the atmosphere of the place. I think, it, I mean, it's contributed a lot to making this like that really recognisable pop culture touchstone. We are introduced to Maverick and Goose, their first flying sequence. They're flying up against Migs, who are tailing the other pilots, Cougar, and they've got Tone, uh, <laughs> which is important in this film when you get Tone. It's basically like when they're in your uh, crosshairs and then you lock on. It's not a real thing, <laughs> uh, but again, it's a sort of used as a plot device. Uh, and Maverick decides uh, that they're just messing with Cougar. So he decides to invert the plane. Goose, being the character that he is, takes a Polaroid and Maverick flips them the finger. Is this your idea of fun, man? Greetings. <laughs> Watch the birdie. Jeez, I cracked myself up. This is a great shot, Mav. I should be a photographer. Cougar, your tail is clear. Mick one's bugged out. Oh, it's it. It's it's extremely efficient. It's it's everything you need to know about. Because um, we're going to spend uh, studied throughout the film, we're going to be in these cockpits watching these dogfights, and that's the um, the plot development through action. So this one basically just completely sets you up with it orients the audience into how to watch those sequences because they're really visually arresting aren't they like, from outer cockpit to inner you, you know what journey they're going on and I, th- I think um it also just sets up where all the character development's going to come from it's how they handle these situations we're well established we're well into it and we know who the characters are and what yeah. they're all about one of the things that scott talked about is that he wanted a, a kind of documentary feel when they were in the air. So he did want to place the audience in, with, in, the, in the planes with the pilots, with the characters. And, and the way that they did it was, and I'll go into it in a little bit more detail during uh, one of the more elaborate sequences, but there's a lot of mounted cameras on real jets, and it is a mixture of models, real, real jets flying, and, well, basically characters on a gimbal in a studio, which is all the... Tom Cruise, Anthony Edwards stuff when they're just yeah. in the cockpit, but edited together, I think it really does work. I mean, there's no CGI in this film, and it it does work. It's um, does it kind of remind you of um, uh, like Star Wars? You know, the the run down the trench to blow up the Death Star. In that that's that's the two perspectives you get on it. You get the the wide shots of the ships flying around, and then literally the only angle. You... I think that's what yeah. they wanted, though, wasn't it? It is. Yeah, uh, Bruckheimer described it when he 
stumbled on the story. He found the story of the Top Gun school in a California magazine, and his pitch was, this is Star Wars on Earth. So yeah, you're absolutely right to uh, identify that, Devs. And it, it definitely shows, definitely shows. Cougar's been scared by the MiG. Maverick comes into land, and the captain played by James Tolkien, who we'll probably talk about a little bit more in the next scene, orders him to land, and this is where we see Maverick, the Maverick renegade that he is, mm-hmm. disobeying orders. He's low on fuel, and this is the first time we'll see the dynamic between Goose and Maverick, because Goose is constantly telling Maverick to not do the thing that he wants to do. He's like, no, land the plane. Maverick's like, no, I'm going back for Cougar. Do we like Maverick at this point? I do think we've got reservations because... He's been a bit reckless, you know, he's done the inverted thing, which looks impressive, but it looks dangerous. And then Mm -hmm. he's not following orders, which you think from a military man, he should follow orders. However, you know, there's the moral dilemma. Do you like him? Because he is a maverick, but he's trying to help someone. So it's good to set up a character that way, I think. The politics of this film is pretty apolitical. They don't really want to get into it, do they? It's Yeah, they're, they're just dark dark planes with a red star on. It just means, yeah, generally mm-hmm. communist baddies because it's the 80s, but nothing specific. It's really hermetically sealed, isn't it? When you're dealing with a film that's so overtly connected with the military, you're normally into right-wing conservative propaganda, so to speak, but the film itself tries to move away from that and and doesn't want to get into the nitty-gritty of fighting wars. It's not about that. No, it's not about that at all. You need bad guys to be generic bad guys, and you know if they can make it resonate with the time and the Cold War or whatever, then that's fine. But we, we, we understand that this film is all about men. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's it's exactly like a like a Star Wars thing. So you, your baddies are just they've got complete face covering yeah. helmets. Just generic dark helmets. They don't have any any names, any identifying. They don't even have a nationality. They're just uh, no. it's no. It's got no more depth than like space invaders. Maverick and Goose. They get pulled into the captain's office. James Tolkien. <laughs> you may know him from Back to the Future. I Strickland. Actually, <laughs> Strickland. I know. I actually prefer to know James Tolkien from Problem Child because I bloody love him in that <laughs> film. Hey, <laughs> Strickland. Does well, that went, guy ever age? Well, he wears a nappy in Problem Child, so it depends which one's going to be your best. But yeah, you know, I oh, know that's what they're saying. Back to the Future, isn't it? Did that guy ever have hair? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, Maverick and Goose are getting reprimanded uh, for their actions, and we're given the first little bit of information alluding to Maverick's father and his name. You mm-hmm. know, I think the captain says, "You know, your your name ain't the best in the navy," and I just love the way that the captain chews him out because it is so stereotypical. It's it's like the scene in Last Action Hero and also the McBain scene in The Simpsons where it's like, you're off your case, chief. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, it's a great bit of casting. You don't really... I mean, he's great in general and also you don't need to know anything else because that's just entirely how he carries himself. And also this is, this is only a year after Back to the Future, so everyone's going to see him as you know, the mean-spirited authoritarian figure. I gotta send somebody from this squadron to Miramar. I gotta do something here. I, I, I still can't believe it. I gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. 
For five weeks, you're going to fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You were number two, Cougar was number one. Cougar lost it, turned in his wings. You guys are number one. But you remember one thing. You screw up just this much. You'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Yes, sir. And within what, five minutes, Danger Zone plays again. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we uh, we come to establishing the school. We meet Jester, played by Michael Ironside. Oh, yes. it's, it's amazing to see him in anything, isn't it? He's just so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. And we have Viper, played by the Skerritt. We also establish... Yeah, they, they are great together, aren't they? They're a really good twosome because... They have very minimal time on screen, but my God, do they just give you a lot with such a little. And Patrick, they do establish in this scene a trophy. (laughs) We never never see it presented is more what I was getting at. But yeah, I know it's on a table. All right. All right. All right. right. But we see all the pilots sat down uh, at this introductory brief. Viper going through uh, why... Top Gun was invented, you know, for dog dog fighting skills, too reliant on equipment. And this is where we have Maverick eyeing up his ad- adversary, the Iceman. He's not just sign up the adversary, though, is he? Because, it's yeah. again, it's a nice character p- moment where this is what you're doing. And, and he, he does he say he's trying to figure out who, yeah. the, uh, who the best is? And then... Is it Scarrett that says, "If you're wondering who the best is, yeah, it's it's a good it's a good scene. I like yeah. this scene. It's a really but good." Then scene, it does it? introduce us to the Iceman, and Val Kilmer couldn't look smugger, could he? No, he's, he's with, um... with Slider's arm slung around him, chewing on. <laughs> <laughs> I should also we should also point out that the first lines of dialogue in this scene, not spoken by the instructors, but by but spoken by the recruits. Uh, one guy says to the others something along the lines of semi-erect. Oh, this gives me a hard on. That's the one. And the response is, <laughs> don't tease me. This scene has <laughs> the subtlety of the blue oyster bar. Oh, God. It's, I mean, we're establishing a, a, a very, very strange tone. I know it's a thing that kind of has become a bit of a trope, and quite rightly, which is that this film is uh, uh, just steeped in heart guy action there's a lot of um uh theorizing to be done as to why that is we'll save that though one thing i will say is that the the writers jack Epps and jim cash uh, so they went off and um uh, jack Epps definitely went off and did some flying with the real pilots in san diego and and he took from his experience with them that he recognized their athleticism and what it required to actually be a pilot and that was the thing that told him I'm going to frame this story as a sports movie. And that is really the story they want to tell. So we've talked about the MIGs and the political stuff and how they want to avoid that. This is the, this is the story that they want to tell, which is we've got these boys fighting for a trophy mm. and it's, they're all you know, dumb, full of cum, and it's just <laughs> it's pure masculinity, isn't it? I bloody love this scene. Uh, one of the other things that I really do love, and we may as well talk about all the actors and their performances because they're all in this scene, is I just love the dynamics between the pairings. So Goose and Maverick, how good is Anthony Edwards in this film? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Oh, he totally um, uh, humanizes 
Tom Cruise because he really Tom, does, Tom Cruise is a, is a uh, taken in isolation. His behavior is terrible and his demeanor is really <laughs> unlikable throughout basically the whole thing. Um, if it weren't for the fact that Anthony Edwards is there being, you know, kind of a little bit goofy, kind of funny, it, it would be, it would be terrible to sit through. He even he even plays piano in the film, showing us a range of his yeah. talent. One of the things, though, about Tom Cruise's performance, he's just coming off Risky Business, isn't he? And this is early Tom Cruise. And you're right. So the writers wrote Tom Cruise in mind for the role. So it is his star persona on screen. You know, at that time, he's young, he's arrogant. There's a sexual charge to him. Throughout the film, he has got this shit-eating grin Ugh. that, it is terrible. <laughs> but he, goes, he, he, goes, he goes to it whenever he can't think of a better reaction for the scene. He's well, like, he's a, it, and this is early in his career, right? Yeah. And you can see that he's still working. You know, I don't want to sound all pompous about it, but he's still working out how to, you know, how to act in certain scenes. And you're right. He just goes to that default grin setting, mm-hmm. which he does all the time in cocktail which I cannot stand in cocktail, but for some reason in Top Gun, and I think it is Goose, I go with it in this film, but I can see in isolation that he's a bit of an arse in this. It's funny because I hadn't realised the the acting trope that you can break down Tom Cruise's performance to this as just a smug dick, can't you? And so he does resort to that knowing smile. The, The only real bit of challenging thing if I may go a bit further on in the plot, is when he's dealing with his actions um, when Goose leaves us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has the remorse there. I think, I think, like, I buy it then, and he does all no, right he does, then. He does, yeah. And he does a good thing. Like, he does have this thing of looking off into the distance. But he's looking off into the distance is either with the grin or when this is with the remorse. And it and it's weird, right? Because against Val Kilmer's Iceman, who's like this Uber jock, good looking, he's still cocky, but Kilmer's like a poster boy for the Navy. Maverick is the one that you really don't want to recruit. Mm-hmm. But the way that Kilmer plays it, he's got this like air of entitlement, which I I when I was watching it again, I was thinking basically Val Kilmer is Tom Brady in this film. He's like this perfect specimen but you just you can't help but be like i don't want that guy to win Hmm. but i don't know what did you think i mean well despite the fact that his his character is right about everything throughout he's right about everything i know yeah you know he is he is the the best pilot and he won being best pilot by being the best pilot and remained the best pilot throughout i think i think you do trust kilmer a little bit more though because i think your common sense says that he's established himself properly rather than the maverick actions of tom cruise so it's, it's weird though but i think i think in like a traditional filmmaking sense Valka, uh, iceman is the uh, antagonist yeah. in the film for the domestic purposes against the migs and against the you know that that kind of side of things so is the antagonist to the protagonist in a in that traditional sense for the, the arc of character but I mean, they're both pretty annoying to start with, but just just in in a smug sensibility, and it's not yeah. it's not a nice um, 
uh, atmosphere to create from your leading men or, or the characters that you're who, who do you root for apart from goose at the beginning really so then we move to the bar scene where maverick and goose are dressed in their whites and it's animal night i don't know if you noticed that in the sign in the bar it's very odd uh it's animal night uh, that's what it says it, it, yeah it's it's an odd one uh, and <laughs> we are introduced to iceman and slider officially hey hey slider thought you wanted to be a pilot man what happened goose you're such a dickhead whose butt did you kiss to get in here huh? well the list is long but distinguished yeah, well so's my johnson so you're flying with iceman huh Mr. Iceman to you. Hey, Mother Goose, how's it going? Doing good, Tom. This is Pete Mitchell, Tom Kazansky. Congratulations on Top Gun. Thank you. Sorry to hear about Cougar. He and I were like brothers in flight school. He was a good man. Still is a good man. Yeah, that's what I meant. And again, there's a lot of dick measuring going on, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. sort of... <laughs> the list is long and distinguished. So is my Johnson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. I feel like I'm going to get hammered when we get to the homoerotic subtext, but there we are. But the um, thing is, when, when they go into this, um, the thing to say, establishing that it is boys' club in this film, when they go into this bar, I don't remember the line of dialogue itself exactly, but don't they say they're like, they're on a, a hunt or something or yeah yeah oh, yeah yeah well it's a it's a target rich environment Patrick, target rich so. environment <laughs> and we established that there's a lady there who's not not a yeah. character we know but like an extra who the camera pans up from her legs i don't know why she's got a cocked leg up on a step but <laughs> i think it's just getting you easing you into what scott's going to do later on in the film but yeah, yeah. it's um it's very much from the from the male perspective all it of is. this far yeah stuff. and um the music is cheesy as hell, and it's bloody brilliant. But it gets cheesy. And then we have, uh, yeah, it gets even cornier, doesn't it? So Maverick sees Charlie, uh, played by Kelly, Mag- Kelly McGillis, and we Doesn't have he make the... a wager. Uh, yeah. He does, yeah. I think he. Does. he has what, to have, what's the wager? Twenty dollars to have carnal knowledge with somebody <laughs> on the premises. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I told you, boys, it's a heterosexual film. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, Maverick sees Charlie. And then we have this uh, choreographed serenade scene where Maverick decides to sing You've Lost That Loving Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. And my God, <laughs> is this brilliant. Excuse me, miss. Hey, hey, hey. Don't worry, I'll take care of this. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. There's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, baby. But baby, believe me, I know it. You've lost What I like about it is that they are shit singers. <laughs> but you know, it, make, it makes it more real. You know, it makes it more like, I don't know, stupid and ridiculous that they are just chancing their luck rather than impressive singers to impress a girl. So it's just a, a whim. There's a playfulness about the love story that we're going to get because it's not taken too seriously. And it starts off with this 
I mean, if this was done at a karaoke by your uncle, you're horribly embarrassed, aren't you? But Cruz has got that grin, hasn't he? And he's and he's got Sundown helping him, and he's got Goose singing away. I don't think this would ever actually work. It worked in 10 Things I Hate About You, but it worked better because we were established with the characters. Yeah, and, and he knows knew, her. Yeah, we knew what, what the stakes were with that, that by embarrassing himself like that for her entertainment was a way to kind of win her over. Whereas, like, just launching a karaoke at some woman that you've never seen before <laughs> and expecting her to then have to deal with it somehow... <laughs> it's yet another dick move to chalk up to Maverick. I think there's also, though, the symbolism of the competition that they're all experiencing together. They're in there to get girls against all the other guys in the uniform because, I, I don't know, they, maybe that's part of their their outlook as well. But then the biggest dick move in this scene, and th- this I I never remembered and thought it was bizarre, is he follows her to the toilet. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a bit desperate, really, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's horrible! <laughs> it's fucking horrible with that big toothy snaggle tooth grin of his oh, following it? her <laughs> in to the toilet. Every time he flashed the the grin, I was always staring really hard because I wanted to see the middle tooth, <laughs> the symmetrical one tooth. Yeah, the infamous <laughs> Tom Cruise middle tooth. Patrick, if you don't mind me uh, sort of pointing it out, you've you've worked with the man. You worked with Tom Cruise yeah. on um, Live, Die, Repeat, wasn't it? Or no, Edge of Tomorrow, we... it was called. Edge of Tomorrow was the UK release title. Are yeah. his teeth okay now? <laughs> 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 yes, uh, his teeth were fine back in 2000, and that was 2013, I want to 2012, I think. He's a consummate professional, though, isn't he? He is, he has very high standards. I, I do remember that, because I was... Um, you, you you were all made aware of his high standards and you had to reflect that in your own work ethic on the set as well. Um, the one thing I do remember is, I'll never forget, there's two stories. I'll tell one now. Maybe I'll treat you to another one later. But I had a can of Coke on set and because c- I was kind of in with his security uh, detail, I'll call it, um, he, he's like uh, the guy I looked after him. He was really nice. So I got on with him very well. I was chatting to him. I had a can of Coke. I was drinking it. And Tom came over and, hey, hey, man, you don't want to drink that. You don't want to put that in your body. Get some Fiji water. I've got some spare. You can have some Fiji water. Don't be putting Coke in your body, okay? Uh, Yes, Tom. Yep, fine. (laughs) Threw it away just to be polite. (laughs) And uh, off he went. That was his message delivered. And he looked very happy about it. (laughs) Get get your Fiji water in you. Uh, We had to ship the stuff in by the crate. Yeah, he loved it. So after crashing and burning at the bar, Maverick decides to follow Charlie into the ladies' toilets. It's a long cruise, was it, Sailor? It was too long. What do you want to do, just drop right down on the tile and go for it? I actually had this this counter in mind. Great, that would be very, very comfortable, yeah. It could be. Actually, I came in here to save you from making a big mistake with that older guy. Really? So I could go on to a bigger one with a young guy like yourself? Maybe. No? I've got to be at work very early in the morning. So what are you doing? Your friend was magnificent. Nah. 
singing singing at a woman is is like an obnoxious thing to do. Continuing continuing to, to pester her will probably get you roughed up by a bouncer charging in behind her into the women's toilets and saying that you're gonna have sex on a counter. Yeah, you're arrested. Yeah, that when he tests the weight, if he can hold the weight, that's so stupid. Um, it's 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 weird to see, like, because you'd say like her reaction is is kind of difficult to deal with. I think it's just a precursor to how weird. She's quite self assured, though, isn't she? But she's weirdly, weirdly, and she only, she doesn't have that many scenes. But each one that she's in, she's like a completely different person. The writing for her is all over the shop. The next big, big scene is the hangar. So um, Charlie, who has a... Does she have a PhD in astrophysics? Which never comes up again. Yeah, it's. I I guess that's to establish that she is smart. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's a civilian contractor who assesses the pilot's performance. And uh, when Maverick sees her, he's quite coy. And the way that Scott frames her, I mean... It kind of could be a porno. It's a it's a shot up from the back, the yeah. legs, the skirt. It's it's a very typical introduction of a woman at the time, isn't it? Yeah, from the legs and work your way up. Tony Scott actually got told by the studio to dampen it down because they thought that she was too made up. So this is the oh, restrained wow. version <laughs> okay. that we get. So God knows what she looked like before. I, mean, I, I think if you've seen The Simpsons, it's the shotgun on on <laughs> whore mode. I think is what happened. <laughs> this is one of the the scenes that they do a straight parody of in in Hot Shots, don't they? Where um, uh, Charlie Sheen walks into the office of uh, Valeria Colina, and she's um, she's a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and uh, he just he's watching, he's looking all the way at the legs. Nice legs, thanks. I just had them lengthened. <laughs> now they go all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I really do like this scene because, one, it's ridiculous that there would be a uh, class in a hangar, but it's great because it's, <laughs> Who put the it's cinematic. really cinematic. Who put the yeah. It's really cinematic. And you see it again in Brokoma, things like Armageddon, and you see yeah. it. Yeah. They do yeah, it again yeah, yeah, and yeah. again and again. And And what I also love is I love Goose's reaction, and I love Tom Cruise's reaction with the glasses. Because and sunglasses when they realize. On, yeah. Uh, it, there's there's certain moments where you are enraptured in his charm as a star. For me, it works in this scene. It it does, doesn't it? Because it, it's all about his body language as well. I think he does very well with the lean back on the chair, the cocked elbow, and the way he describes the "I was inverted." You can see he's really enjoying that line, and the connotations of the line are it's delivered very well. I was going to say that I found it once again totally abhorrent that as soon as he finds out that she's in any sort of authority. He immediately just decides to humiliate her in front of a class full of other recruits for the basis of actually learning how to fly. They actually need to listen to. I don't know. It's just me. <laughs> I thought he's being a cunt again. You, you're right to highlight it. He undercuts her, and then she never really gets to a place of status again. Really? No, she does. She does when they're they're analyzing one of the one of his flights, isn't? It? And she goes. You should never do that. And unfortunately, it, it, in the script, though, it's um, it's kind of written off as the only reason that she goes in so hard on him in the class is so that nobody will realize how madly in love she is with him. All because of one song and one bathroom intrusion. Quite an unconventional bit of casting with Kelly McGillis, because I'll be honest with you, I've okay. never seen her in 
anything else. No, me neither. She's not what you would normally see as a conventional 80s love interest. She's not like a, a Paula Abdul or something. You know, do you know what I mean? Like that kind of atypical, glamorous 80s type figure or a Jane Fonda, um, which I, I've got to commend... You know, I've got to commend the the producers and the filmmakers for for kind of making that choice. I have to, I have to say, I'm sorry that those were two of the strangest examples you could have come up with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I was trying to think of eighties. I should have gone with Cindy Crawford, shouldn't I? But I did for whatever reason went with. That's great, Bowler Abdul, and I would guess at that point a 43 year old Jane Fonda. <laughs> I thought you were going to compare it to Meg Ryan, oh, yeah. the obvious comparison. Yeah, well, no, uh, it's Paula Abdul and Jane Fonda <laughs> on the brain, mate, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't actually believe their relationship at any point during the film. I don't think they've actually got any chemistry either. But that song that you were alluding to, Patrick, does a lot of heavy lifting. Bam, and it, bam, worked, bam, and it works for me in their relationship. Whenever I hear that song, I'm always reminded of a, a joke from um, uh, Phoenix Nights when Max and Paddy the doormen are listening to the pub quiz inside and you've got to, you've got to figure out the song, the song, and it's that song. And he's like, I've got, almost got it, almost got it. Walking on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> that song always just, I'm kind of taken out of it. But anyway, they, uh, they do play it to death in this film, don't they? Yeah, they've got it on loop throughout pretty much from the 30 minutes. Like you mark. said, Gals, that there's not really a great deal of believable chemistry between them, so they need something to force that onto you and say, this is, this is romance. This yeah. is romance, you bastards. Yeah. On, a, on, a, on a serious comparison, uh, just, just this weekend gone, uh, me and the missus watched Edward Scissorhands, and there's a film that has a similar kind of love story as far as there's about four or five scenes. There ain't actually that that much screen time together but the music sells it and the performance sells it and there is a genuine chemistry within you know the, the performances of um johnny depp and winona yeah. Ryder, and mm-hmm. and that is something that that top gun doesn't which have. just feels so shoehorned right like every time they have a scene together maverick and charlie it just kills the momentum of the film nobody's yeah. into it they're, they're usually just sitting at some table talking i can barely focus on what they're saying so just just to go ahead just to concentrate on their let's get their relationship out of the way because it is bogus in, in a way really that the you know the, the the things we're more interested in aren't really them but when she again the contradiction she i don't really understand why she invites him to hers no and she says i don't date students but then he rocks up tobacco filter the music starts playing he's sundown and like He's still a dick. He goes in and says, can I get a shower? <laughs> you know, like, I don't understand what they're doing at yeah. all. I don't understand why she likes him. I don't understand. I, I suppose I understand his point of view. I think it's a bit of a game from him from the bar. But they just sit there and he just smiles goofily. This film is a film that has been saved 
in the edit. And the editors themselves were pretty explicit about it uh, in their in their sort of love story. After they've had the dinner, there's a scene where they're in the elevator. Yeah, it's it's immediately after. That, like it's it's what? Yeah, it's that yeah, yeah. that was a studio mandated scene done six months later because they thought there wasn't enough scenes where their romance had had a chance to sort of breathe yeah. and blossom. So right. Tom Cruise is just coming off Scorsese's Color of Money. And he's actually shooting that at the time, which is why his hair slicked back because it's really long. And Kelly McGillis is on another wearing film and has lost loads of weight and had a haircut, which is why she's wearing a hat. And that and a, was and a bomber jacket that fills her out a bit, doesn't it's, it? Yeah, exactly. And then later on, they have the blue Terminator sex scene. Another scene added. See, I would have put that in the original script because that—that's that typical. Uh, it's not makeup sex, but it's sex born of an argument, yeah. you know, and a disagreement. So that—that's the reason of it. Which it cut. You know, I, I would have bought that as in the original shoot story-wise. They realised that this love story did never worked which is mm. a now testament to the film itself for how successful it's been, that people seem to just bypass it, or I guess the strength of the song, that people just went, you know what, Take My Breath Away was such a great song, I can believe this love story that they're Walking. trying to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> because the film is so overtly male-on-male friendly, if you didn't have a female love interest, the film would just be... Rather than it being like a sublimated homoerotic feeling to it, if there wasn't an arbitrary woman for him to sleep with, the film and the character would be seen as just flat-out gay, right? Should we talk about the two scenes that are going to give us this feeling that maybe there is some homoerotic subtext going on? We have the, the first locker room scene where Iceman and Maverick kind of have their first sort of showdown of words. Yeah. And Val Kilmer just this very, very odd acting choice, but it's kind of, well, it's Val Kilmer, isn't it? He does these things. He sort of bites, he sort of has a bite at him. We won. All right. All right. All right. Okay. They won too, man. That's not what I heard. Well, we did. We got gesture. No, no. Below the hard deck does not count. Hard deck my ass. We nailed that son of a bitch. Ah, you guys really are cowboys. What's your problem, Kazansky? You're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Nice, man. I am dangerous. And then we have this this volleyball scene where, you know, it's in, in Glasgow, we'd say, tats off. And and everyone's playing volleyball, apart from Anthony Edwards, who I don't think had a six-pack lesson. <laughs> but, so yes... Let's get into it because Tarantino <laughs> did a a bit in a, a film called Sleep With Me where he talked about how Top Gun isn't really about fighter pilots flying planes. It's really a, a sort of gay parable. About suppressed mm. sexuality. Go on then, Devlin. Talk about it. Well. Go for your theory. I mean, up front, the film being uh, uh, very homoerotic has been kind of a sort of running gag, sort of. For years, basically since whenever you first hear about it, you know, it's it's not a massive surprise to see this uh, film as being kind of very homoerotic. And it's like, that's fine. It's fine to just see that that's what's going on. But then I, I just always wondered, like, why is it? Because we've talked about a couple of times on these on these uh, podcasts, we've uh, talked about weird choices that get made in, in filmmaking. And I'm always reluctant to 
think that anyone talking about a film should see themselves as smarter than the film or smarter than the filmmakers. So I don't believe for a second that this is accidental. Young guys with hot bods draped all over each other and talking about how how massive their boners are is nobody would write that, shoot it, edit it, and release it without realizing exactly what's going on. So I wanted to do some reading on this. So I read a uh, uh, an article uh, by this guy, uh, Noah Gittel, and his, his article is called Why the Homoeroticism in Top Gun Matters. This also relates back to the politics of the film because uh, this film was um, given more access to more military equipment than virtually any other film that ever been heard of before, right? They had, you know, they had access to actual fighter jets, um, to uh, aircraft carriers. They were, uh, like you said, one of the writers went and flew in a in a uh, fighter jet. This doesn't happen unless that is a reciprocal relationship. And people have even spoken in the years afterwards that this was like a tremendous recruitment boon for the military in general, but for the uh, the American Navy especially. So his theory was that because this film was being used as a recruitment tool, the specific target audience they were looking for was to tap into the, um, the sublimated raging sexuality of adolescent boys. Um, not specifically to say that all of these adolescent boys are uh, gay, because it's, 90, it's the mid-1980s, and let's be honest, the US Navy does not want to actively recruit gay men because well no i think it might have been against their policy exactly point, yeah so uh what they're trying to do though is that they're saying that um that the the raging sexuality of adolescent males is so diffuse that it will often um present itself in in kind of unusual ways so like everyone's heard stories about uh uh college fraternities or sports teams having um, initiation rituals, which are basically like ritualistic sexual humiliation. Well, we have it with rugby teams, don't we? I seem to remember this, these kind of things when we were there. I remember in Leeds on the Otley Run, the, the, one of the sports things that they do was make you run naked from one pub to the other. It's like half yeah. a mile. So this was this was the theory. The theory was that it was uh, it was tapping into that sort of uh, nascent sexuality. And, and directing it in the in the direction of, um, well, maybe you should use all that pent up uh, uh, aggression you've got going there, and come and fly this especially phallic right. fighter jet and fire your missiles at, at the others. Which is which is also symbolic of sexual frustration yeah, exactly. as well, isn't it? To fire a gun is uh, it's not super dissimilar to the Simpsons it's... episode where they are a boy band. Ivan et Niosh. <laughs> I think it is accidental in this film. I I think I can't I can't look beyond them think thinking this film was very macho, oh, yeah. and very heterosexual for you know men being men. Volleyball topless in your tight denim jeans is extremely homoerotic, especially. But then and then I suppose this is the hard part to argue when they're doing it over a song called "Playing with yeah. the Boys."
Tony Scott talked about the volleyball scene and he basically described it. And this is on the audio commentary. He's basically like, I had no idea what to do with it. The writers had written this competitive scene because at no point during the film do we ever see Iceman and Maverick actually have a face off in, in competition in the air. We never right. see it. Yeah, so, yeah, he, yeah. so he wanted to have something that meant that they could basically trade off, you know, Goose and Maverick versus Slider and, and Iceman. Now, Tony Scott's from Northumbria, and he was in California and just thought, well, this is the aesthetic, you know, shirts off. He wanted denim. Everyone's wearing bloody denim in this film. And he, I can't remember the, the photographer, but there was a photographer that did model work, and it was actually gay, um, gay photography. But he took these pictures as the as the sort of style that he wanted all the the guys to look like, which is the the slick back hair, mm-hmm. the abs, the sweat. Playing with the boys, written by Kenny Loggins. The story behind that is that Kenny Loggins really wanted to do a song in the soundtrack because it's Kenny Loggins. It's the 80s. The man wrote Footloose, for crying out loud. And he was in competition with a load of other artists. And it was the one scene that he thought no one else is going to do a song for. And he watched the scene and just went, well, I'll write a song (laughs) that basically surmises the scene. And there it is. (laughs) Play Randy Newman. <laughs> he basically does a Randy Newman. So <laughs> now this could all be, you know, m- you know, the myth that surrounds these films that we love. Oh, well, yeah. certainly these films that we know from the past. But I, c- I tend to agree that some of it's accidental. Some of it, I think Tony Scott knows what he's doing. Let's let's be honest. We've already we've already said it. Maverick is not the one that you would recruit. It would mm. be Iceman. Yet the film frames Maverick as our protagonist and Iceman as our antagonist. Well, even though he's right about everything, he's still the counter to to the Tom yeah. Cruise character. So I just think it's one of those happy accidents that you can kind of, re- you know, a bit of revisionist theory. And because of where the Navy's gone, and also let's not forget, the Navy's got a bit of a reputation for this, whether it be American or UK. YMCA kind of ruined the, the, the Navy mm-hmm. as an image. So I just think, yeah, I think that we're really dealing with a sports film. The, the writers are more interested in the male story to be told, which is why the Charlie character is so superfluous in the story, really. They kind of tacked yeah. it on. It worked because they got a really good hit song to kind of do all the heavy lifting. But really, this is a star vehicle for Tom Cruise. And these other ancillary characters, they're all just young. They're all like in their early 20s. They're all... You know, I can say objectively, most you know, blessing again, goose. They're all these really good-looking guys, and yeah, why wouldn't you just watch it and be like, God, I want to be yeah. one of those. This scene's infamous. You know, everyone talks about the scene. It's I think it's influenced a lot of other scenes and the style of certain things. But I remember at school we went to um, this school trip to the south of France, like this water sports thing, and we played a bit of volleyball on the beach, which was wicked. But my friend, one of my friends, he wanted to be Maverick. So whenever we were doing it, I'll be Maverick. And he literally went topless, <laughs> put his sunglasses on, and he was wearing like fucking <laughs> jeans and playing volleyball with us. And I think there was, when I look back on it, there was definitely an innocence there that he didn't know that it yeah, was the most erotic scene and that he thought it was cool and i wonder how much of that is part of this uh we don't want to call it an accident i think we've established that 
it's not just an accident, but I think a lot of this was shot or some of the wording and terminology was supposed to be cool dialogue, cool imagery, cool aesthetic for yeah. young men, which goes back to Devlin's read, um, uh, the article that Devlin read to say, look how cool this is. Look how cool we guys are hanging out together and having a laugh and stuff, which, and like, I'll come back to my point and say it just hasn't mm. aged very well. It might just also Again, be no. that, that they were going for like four quadrant filmmaking. So because we keep talk, referring to it as such like a man, you know, a, a masculine film that if you put in a couple of nice shots of the guys with the top stuff, they were probably thinking at least then the girlfriends and wives would want to come and watch it. It might just be as simple as that. Mm, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, uh, well, uh, Tony Scott says as much. He's like, he wanted a scene for the girls. Well, that's where we have Slider doing that ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. What's he doing? Mr. Universe pose. Well, during the volleyball as well. Well, Patrick, I'll tell you my uh, anecdotal story. Um, I was in the Caribbean playing volleyball and I struck that pose. <laughs> so there you go. That is not an anecdote. That is That's not. An how is that an anecdote? <laughs> That's just you trying to show off. <laughs> I was in better shape then, listeners. <laughs> now I'm definitely like Goose. Where's the t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're jump we're skipping ahead a little bit, but uh, someone comes into the film who basically becomes the son for about three scenes and steals everything. Meg Ryan, as Goose's wife, debut appearance in a film, and she's just, she's great. I mean, she's just got this bundle of energy, lovable kind of nothing role that she totally steals. Yeah, it's so surprising. I completely forgot that she was in the film. I didn't know she was in the film until she turned up, but... She does have a certain energy, and I think uh, it's quite important at the time with with everything we've spoken about. And uh, he's he she brings the chemistry that Tom Cruise doesn't have. Her and Goose, and there's a family element, and I suppose there's alarm bells as soon as you see the goose has a lot to lose there anyway. In you know the predicting the future, but um, she definitely adds a lot to the film when she comes in. I agree. Yeah, she's in it for like 10 minutes, but it's, it's what a 10 minutes. I mean, again, if you, you think about these bit, bit roles for these actors that come in, day players, whatever, but you can, you can become a star if you just, if you can deliver. And she really does deliver when she, she comes in. And from, from introducing her, we, we've, we skipped ahead when Maverick goes up against um, mm. Jester and goes below the hard mm. deck. Uh, But this time they're flying in another op and Maverick realizes that he's flying against Viper and Jester. So even though he promised Goose that he's learned his lesson, he hasn't quite, has he? Goose, there's Viper, three o'clock low. Stay with Hollywood, Mav, we're his cover. Don't you leave me, Maverick. Hollywood, you're looking good. I'm going after Viper. God damn you, Maverick. Mav, don't leave him. Ghost Hollywood's okay. I want Viper. Stand by. Viper's coming down. Holy 
Holy shit, we're head to head. I can't believe we're doing this. This for me is the best aerial sequence in the entire film. You got four, yes. you got four planes at once. And one of the things we didn't describe in the other sequences is they keep talking about the hard deck being ten thousand feet. You can see that it isn't ten thousand feet because they're flying just below and just above yeah. mountains. But they they did this for a practical reason because when they shot in the air, you couldn't get a sense of. Orientate. Yeah, you couldn't get a sense of the speed. You couldn't orientate yourself. You didn't know who was who. So they decided to shoot on top of mountains in uh, California, and the, the the planes would just fly by, and then they would get those wonderful, wonderful kind of four shots where they're just flying in all different directions. I I love this sequence. I, as action sequences go, it's great. And just to go back to something we've spoken about before on Dances with Wolves, you know how blown away we were by just the physicality of the buffalo hunt. And I think in Top Gun watching these, because it's really expensive. I was reading how expensive it was for them to shoot these sequences. It's like, um, oh, I've lost the numbers in front of me, but it's hundreds of thousands per 15 minutes to have those planes in the air, whether fuel and fighter and pilots and everything. It's, it really sucks you in as an action sequence. And yeah, I love this section. It's great. And again, we learn loads about character up in the air, and this is Maverick learning the hard way. Where's he going? Come on, come on, come on. Keep coming. Keep coming. Come on, Dan. Damn, this gets good. Still close for missiles, Goose. I'm switching to guns. And yeah, it's great. It's really, really good stuff. And then we move into the locker room, and this is where, okay, Devlin, you've made your point, but they are just sat around in towels, uh, abs out. And we'd said before that Iceman gives him a bit of a grilling here, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And he's, but he's totally right. He's like, well, who, you know, which which side are you? Which side are you on? Maverick, it's not your flying. It's your attitude. The enemy's dangerous. But right now, you're worse than the enemy. You're dangerous and foolish. You may not like the guys flying with you. They may not like you. But whose side are you on? And then we have the uh, more antagonism where they have the meeting. They break it down mm. and... Yeah, it's, before it's, we get it's, into uh, yeah, it's actually the the scene just before this, isn't it? Where um, that's where uh, Charlie reviews his thing, and then yeah, they they oh, he's such a dick again when he gets on his motorbike because one person has criticised the <laughs> thing he did, which he definitely did wrong, and then he's oh, yeah. grabbing the throttle. I can't, I can't hear, hear you. you. The sound what of a wanker. motorcycle, and then he, and then she takes off in a car <laughs> after him. Like barreling through traffic and almost killing people, and that's what I mean when I say that like her character isn't a character because 
like there's nothing in her previous uh, uh, actions which suggests that she'd be the kind of person who would do that. And yeah, she dresses yeah. quite preppy at the beginning, which would not suggest it. And where the fuck does that <laughs> yeah. car come from? She, oh, I know. She was yeah. just right there. Um, and then yeah, and then they go off to to have sex. Oh, because they're arguing in the middle of the day, but then they go off to have sex after one edit directly next to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> they have James Cameron sex, don't they? Oh, it God. Is, it... Um, it is that 80s blue and hue. She, the, it's all just like like back maneuvering. It's the classic back maneuver stuff of just like hands clutching back. Oh, but... And then she licks his th- Throat. And there's some quite uncomfortable yeah. tugging, she isn't there? Yeah. It's horrible. It reminded me of um, in American Pie. You know, everyone's having different <laughs> types of sex at the end, and, and and poor Kev and Tara Reed are just having like slug sex. It's kind of like that. <laughs> slugs. You're you're not you're not swimming, not a little swimming. Slugs. <laughs> no personality. <laughs> but uh, so after the Viper scene. Uh, and, and and Maverick's sort of definitely realised now. I think he even says it'll never, never happen again. We go to um, now this bar scene where Goose is playing the piano, singing "Great Balls of Fire." We have Meg Ryan again, just stealing the show. Uh, I have been to the bar. It's called Kansas City Barbecue in San Diego. I've been there twice because because I, of the film. I bloody love this film, yeah. And it is uh, okay. it is essentially a shrine to Top Gun. Like they it's on the menu as seen in Top Gun. Uh everything is uh, inside has got like loads of paraphernalia from the film and yeah, what I will say is the uh, the chicken wings are a bit disappointing, but uh, you know, it's a really good <laughs> it's a really good shrine and uh if you've never been to San Diego just as a bit of a plug, it's amazing. So get yourself there. But yeah, yeah. And uh, and like you said Patrick, I get in Hot Shots, he's called Dead Meat. I don't know if you can go back to the first time you saw this. Did you see the writing on the wall? Goose is going to die. You know, we're setting up this character that we uh, really love. I did when his family turned up, yeah. And because he, he's such an affable and likable character, and unlike other, say, comic relief types, the way that Anthony Edwards plays him, he's not obnoxious, is he? He's not like Joker Minute. He's just. He grounds, like you said, he grounds Maverick. I mean, my missus loves this film, and she she just loves Goose. She's like, I wish the film was about Goose. It kind of puts it in much starker contrast how little chemistry uh, Maverick and Charlie have, because you've seen Anthony Edwards and oh, Meg yeah, Ryan together. Oh, yeah, they have together, that scene, don't they? And, and, you know, it's all just kind of so carefree and fun, and then you see those two sitting on their motorbike. Oh, Devlin, it's yeah. the great line, isn't it? It's the... Take me to bed now or lose me forever. Oh, when when Kelly McGillis de- delivers it to, to Tom Cruise, you are just like, oh, get a kiwi <laughs> juice. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we talked about when we were talking about um, Mortal Kombat. For whatever reason, this came into my head. Where we were saying that Mortal Kombat is confusing <laughs> as, as shit because nothing ever explains where you are even though it's supposed to be a tournament. Whereas this is every single time they get in a plane, some, it's, I think it's Viper does a, a, essentially a voiceover, which is... It, no, it, is it, no it, it's um, on. It, it's on. It's, okay. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's on. It's uh, uh, He's like... The top the trophy is still up for grab. Every point counts. 
Brits were back at like, this is where we are. Like they told us before they're at the halfway point. It's like everything you're right when you say that it's a sports movie format, like, but it's a good one in that they tell you where you are in the story so that you know that this is a thing that's going to reach a conclusion. Exactly. And you know, the stakes in that particular aspect yeah. of the tournament, you know, Maverick yeah. needs to win because if he doesn't, they're, they're head to head on points with Iceman. So he, he wants to win. And then this is where we have this, this fatal tragic accident. It's because he gets in the slipstream. Is that right? Jet wash. Yeah. Jet wash, thank you. Yeah. And to just to, to pour some, some trivia on it. Um, the technical advisor on the, the film is called Peter Pettigrew, who was the actual Viper at Top Gun. That is yeah. his call sign. And, uh, he trawled through all the incidents that had happened in aviation within uh, the US Navy. And this was the only one whereby a pilot wouldn't be directly responsible for the accident and wouldn't be held account for it, but right, right, right. would allow for the character to feel responsible, Respo- which is yeah. exactly how they do it. And it is a really, oh, really smart way. Good shout, yeah. yeah. It is sad, this scene. Like you, I mean, uh, just to jump forward just a little bit more as well, I think um, one of my favourite scenes is when Iceman speaks to Maverick in the locker room. And, and, he's, uh, and he's only speaking to his back. I think Maverick can't face him, which I, I completely believe in get. And I like the atmosphere of the scene because he says, I'm sorry, mate. I, everyone liked Goose. And you, you do feel it. You feel the loss. I think the film feels the loss. It's almost as if saying everybody liked Goose is still throwing a little bit of shade at him. The, the, yeah, everyone liked Goose, yeah, yeah. even if we didn't like you, is what he's saying. Yeah, because throughout the whole film, he's been saying, your way of flying has cost others. You know, he mm-hmm. earlier in the film when he says, you know, where were you when you were showboating with the MiG, with Cougar? You know, he, mm-hmm. he is someone who's going to hold Maverick to account for all of his actions. Yes, but he, I think he wants Maverick to learn from it and to carry on and to, because I think Iceman in a way needs him as well. Pushes him to, to, yeah, ex- to, to, to excellence, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Film does feel the loss as well as the characters because I think, and, and they know this as well, because the, we then have a basically a montage. It's a really we? truncated second act, which... To me, I'd, I'd, especially because I'm not, I'm not totally swung on how um, Tom Cruise uh, portrays it. I'm also not swung on on whether the film, if you wanted this to be like you know the the lowest ebb, the second act drag. I just, I don't know. I feel like somebody should have because the film and all of the characters in it are in such a rush to absolve him of any responsibility. Like the the court martial, which uh, takes what like a day, says uh, he didn't do anything wrong. Even Meg Ryan, who has just <laughs> like lost her husband and the father of her child, is still like nice to him. 
way too nice to him, really. Like, she's comforting him. You know me, I <laughs> shed a tear again, didn't I? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> so easy. It's the music. I just it's wish that... there was a bit of an edge to it or something. I feel like he, I just feel like he got, he got away with it. Gets off lightly. Yeah, he, yeah. The, the film lets him off very lightly. And that, you know, that his, um, so his fallen redemption arc just ends up being quite shallow. Yeah, it also doesn't paint the um, the other pilots in a great light because they're basically like when when he's flying with Sundown and he can't take the shot because his confidence has yeah. completely been eroded. He's just like, "What's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you?" It's like, oh, "Well, it was only a day ago, I think, <laughs> in, in yeah, timeline maybe. terms, that he lost his best mate. So maybe we can have a little bit more sympathy." Like I understand Viper saying, "Get him back up there," because he's trying to trying to. You know, he is trying to. It's that whole whole idea of you know get back on the horse thing, but the other characters outside of Iceman and Meg Ryan's uh, wife really. I mean, even Charlie. You know, so when he quits after he's spoken to uh, Iceman, he quits, doesn't he? And it it leads to possibly my favorite line of dialogue in the whole film. Oh, what 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 line's that one? It's me, Wolfman. Maverick just quit. That's it. <laughs> something, about, something about a man phoning somebody and referring to himself as Wolfman just really made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we were talking before about, uh, or I was saying before, how the film was saved in the edit. Well, here's the other example. So Maverick has quit Top Gun. He goes to the mm-hmm. airport. Charlie comes in. Tries, I'll have what he's tries to give him a bit of a pep talk, and then when she realizes that she's not getting through to him, basically throws a, well, I guess you just quit everything. I think she says something like, you're a quitter, out of which we've never seen him quit anything. So yeah. it seems like a line that doesn't quite, doesn't quite fit. Oh, okay. And, then, yeah, and this yeah. is how you know that it's saved in the edit, because he then cut to... A different location. We go to Viper's house. He's wearing a completely different costume. Yes. Yeah. That scene was definitely intended to be the scene where he changed his mind. But I think they realized watching the film, the love story doesn't work. The chemistry is not really there. But what will work is this Viper mentor father story is stronger. So they put that second. And then we have this wonderful scene where we can see that Maverick has actually learned something. You know, he's no, he's no longer got this bravado. He's respectful to Viper. I think he even says, you know, I'm sorry for disturbing you on a Sunday, sir. Yeah. Mm. And, and he apologizes to his wife as well, I think. He's very courteous. He would never say that at the beginning of the film. And, and this scene does work. And again, Skerritt sells it, doesn't he? You know? He's he's really really strong in this scene. You're in the worst dog fight I've ever been to. Bogies like fireflies all over the sky. His F4 was hit. He was wounded, but he could have made it back. He stayed in it. Saved three planes before he bought it. How come I never heard that before? Well, that's not something the State Department tells dependents when the battle occurred over the wrong line in some map. So you were there? I was there. It's on your mind. My options, sir. Simple. First, you've acquired enough points to show up tomorrow and graduate with your Top Gun class. 
but you can quit. There'd be no disgrace. That spin was hell. It would have shook me up. So you think I should quit? I didn't say that. The simple fact is you feel responsible for Goose and you have a confidence problem. Now, I'm not going to sit here and blow sunshine up your ass, Lieutenant. A good pilot is compelled to always evaluate what's happened so he can apply what he's learned. I mean, what, what's the saying? You know, you make three different films, don't you? The one that you write, the one that you shoot, and the one that you yeah. edit. And, and this is definitely the film that they ended up with, but not the film that was probably written. Uh, I think they would have banked on the love story having more impact. But well, there's, I mean, just there's, didn't. there's such a weird line of dialogue in that as well towards the end when he just says, uh, that I heard you got that job in Washington, which is the first we've heard about anything. It's just, it's just, <laughs> well, I assume it's just an excuse to get her dispatched from the film. Yeah, no, I think it is. And there is a little bit right at the beginning when she says she's, she is career driven, but I yeah. don't think they ever mention a job in Washington. Yeah. She just says the MIG sighting's really important to me. And that's mm. it. Um, yeah, I feel bad for Kelly McGillis because she's, she really is the, you know, she's, she's on the poster, but. I think the writers at the time, though, it would have been uh, a box to yeah. tick. We, we need a woman, we need a love interest. No, no, I totally agree, and uh, yeah, it, it's a shame for her because um, she's not she's not great in the film. It is, and I I, I don't know why I keep thinking about this. Like, I, I, we like Tony Scott. I do. I love his work. Um, I've always liked, to, and I think he does great. My favorite film of his is True Romance. I think he does great things there with, especially um, Arquette. But I I couldn't help but imagine if this film had been directed by. Uh, oh, as soon as I'm doing that, I've forgotten a fucking Catherine name. Bigelow. Thank you very she much. She would have done a great job. It's so, what I thought as well when I was rewatching it. Yeah, and I, 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 kept, I kept doing it. I kept kind of comparing it to Point Break and just thinking, I think it would have been edgier. Yeah. And I think it needs to be edgier, this film. Mm. It needs to be darker and it needs to be more severe. No love interest. Yeah, that's what I kept thinking when I was watching it from a critical point of view. From um from an audience point of view, the film's very enjoyable. I can only assume you'll get to see that in the forthcoming sequel. Maverick, yeah. Top Gun Two. I mean I thought Top Gun Two was The Guardian with right. uh, Aston Kutcher and Kevin <laughs> Costner, but no. No, it is Maverick Top Gun Two. Well when he sets it up at the end of the film, doesn't he? He says Mm-hmm. That's what he wants to do. He wants to become a. He wants to become a. He word. wants to become an instructor. Yeah, instructor, which I mean, you. you would imagine that that's the ideal candidate, isn't it? Someone who has apparently mm-hmm. barely flown in any combat situations that we've ever seen. Any ones that he does, he disobeyed <laughs> orders every single time he was in his plane, <laughs> and he also spent a lot of the film freaking out and unable to do anything whatsoever. Well, knowing Tom like I don't. I think he'll end up just being another pilot and he won't be an instructor because he's well, forever young. Isn't well, he? this is going to set up my next anecdote. Oh, go on then. Well. Before we get to the end of the film, um, let's hear it, Patrick. I've been excited about this. <laughs> well, I, I did read that Tom Cruise is actually learning to fly one of these jets of for the new film. Oh, of course he is. <laughs> so he's, he's going to take up, he's definitely going to take up the Viper role in the film. It's yeah. got to be. But I think that shows also... Tom Cruise has a lot of power. Oh, God, yeah. And some of the power I saw on the set of Edge of Tomorrow, 
talk about that should be saying <laughs> is um one of the uh one day we had <laughs> we had him buried under a load of sand you oh know, yeah that, I remember kind that. of the, the beach yeah yeah yeah, se- yeah. Sequence. um and sfx had a problem a misfire so you your health and safety you've got to be very careful on set make sure the explosions and the fire rigs are all okay but Tom just turned in that sand. He must have been uncomfortable and wet anyway. And he's got that big exosuit thing on. And he just, he just like looked up all of a sudden like, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? You're certainly not waiting for me. You're certainly not waiting for me. Guys, guys. And then he just stood up, got out the exosuit, walked off. And the, and the first AD, we had an hour and a half to go. It was like, uh, I guess that's a wrap, everyone. Thank you very much. See you tomorrow. Um, we, we were all stood there agog. Like, what the fuck just happened? But yeah. Well, um, that was it. When t- we shot when Tom wanted to shoot. Listen, I, well, he was the producer of that film, wasn't he? So I suppose he had. He was. Yeah, well, yeah gotcha. He had, uh, he had the clout. But you don't need to learn to fly a fucking jet. <laughs> this is his thing, like Ali yeah. said. This is his thing now. He like he flew that helicopter in uh, Fallout. Oh, really? It's possible. Yeah. He... And yeah, yeah. This is this is his next big stunt. He wants to fly the jet. Anyway, <laughs> we we slightly diverged uh, a little bit, but let's let's Sorry. let's wrap up Top Gun. So we get to the graduation scene. Viper gets this order, which again, I know that this is not believable. This film rarely dabbles in the realm of reality they get an order that basically says that tensions have been brewing in the indian ocean and they are the only pilots in the u.s navy that can possibly deal with this issue we we cut from them celebrating with champagne in hand 24 hours later they're in the indian ocean james (laughs) tolkien uh, briefs (laughs) briefs everybody and uh iceman rightly raises his concerns about maverick and his state of mind it's nothing personal it's nothing personal yeah and again it, it really isn't nothing personal you believe that yeah yeah and uh the captain says you know don't worry about it you just you just fly and engage with the migs and uh, and this scene is the big payoff you know for everything that's been set up in the entire film you know the pilots have learned all their dogfighting skills yeah maverick has learn his lesson and it's also going to be his cathartic moment to overcome his guilt and engage and again really good aerial battle sequence they use a lot of models again all the ones with the firing into the jets is just models and of course they are because they're not going to actually fire although they did pay for one missile actually being fired did they show it a couple of times as well. I think in the editing and that, there's two or four, well, two shots becomes four times we yeah, see it. Yeah, they just flip it. Are, yeah. You know, this is before CGI and mm-hmm. it does it affect the film? No. Maverick does engage and he does have that moment, doesn't he, where he um, he looks at the Goose's uh, dog Talk to me, Goose. And, Talk to yeah, me, Goose. Yeah. Talk to me, Goose. Did we talk about though? Because Denny frees up in the last mission, and his new his new guy in his plane was kind of winding him up. It's like we could have had it. It's like, I'll I'll do it when I bloody well want yeah, to. It's sundown, yeah, sundown. You know, it's the 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 so, one yeah. black guy. Which I, I had not mentioned this before, but it reminded me a little sundown. It reminded me a little bit. Do you remember the UK gladiators? <laughs> do you remember how they treated all their black <laughs> names? Shadow, Shadow, Sarah, the, dead, the Deadly Nightshade. <laughs> <laughs> the deadly nightshade. 
Oh, we have in a Marvel film called Black Panther. Well, so. um, yeah, I suppose so. But also, I mean, it does seem pretty indicative of what they were like in real life, though. Because, you know, at the end credits, they've got the list of the real pilots. And the one guy with a Jewish surname is called Rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> I love the... um. Sorry, I was just going to say, I really love the contrivances to why, like, it has to be Maverick. And they say, get another fighter jet up there. And the guy says, the catapult mm, can't. is broken. Yeah, they... <laughs> Yeah. It just is. <laughs> it just is. Don't worry about it. And they just gloss over it no, because it's fine. It's it's all story contrivance. Let's be fair. You know, even the fact that they're battling against this unknown entity. Oh, who's got a special, they, um, quite a frankly, special missile that could fuck up the ship from a hundred miles out? So whenever they say the MIGs yep. are a hundred and twenty miles out, you've got your ticking clock as well. Fast move. There's a MIG undertail. There's a MIG undertail. We've got a problem here. We've only got one missile left. Approaching 110 miles, sir. God damn it. I got him. I got him. He's right on us. He's between our tails. Shit. You haven't lost him. He's still with us. What are you doing? You're slowing down. You're slowing down. I'm bringing him in closer, Merlin. You're going to do what? Maverick. We're gonna hit the brakes, he'll fly right by. Shit, he's gonna get a lock on us! Now! I got a good lock. Fire it. And then they land, they have their great moment. Which, unlike... Music, As, uh, unlike what Tarantino says, they do not say you can ride my tail anytime. No, they don't. They don't say that. Uh, <laughs> Patrick, you're like this. Uh, so obviously, Tom being a bit of diva on set. Val Kilmer was a diva on set. He refused to get out of his trailer for this line and was like, "I am not delivering that line." Oh yeah, no way! He, he didn't want to do it, and eventually. He delivers it I know, so he well. He twisted his arm and he delivered it so well. It's like you could be my women anytime. <laughs> no, you can be mine. You are still dangerous. You can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit. You can be mine. <laughs> the laughter is so. <laughs> that laugh that Tom Cruise does, it just reminds me of those memes going around when he's on Oprah Winfrey's <laughs> chair and he's like, <laughs> I love her. That's... I'm in love. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom Cruise has some bright, goofy moments in this. You know, we, we didn't say it, but during the volleyball and later on with Goose, he does that double high five oh, thing, yeah. the up and down. I, I love everything. We've all, we've all tried it, right? <laughs> we've all tried it on multiple occasions. So we think that that's the ending, reconciliation with Iceman. Oh, we forgot Kelly McGillis needs to come back. So he sat at the bar again. We have a nice callback to the Righteous Brothers. And did anyone else find it odd that when they come together, they just cut before the kiss? I don't even, I don't remember. Yeah. It. It, just, it fades to black. They don't even kiss. They just sort of embrace. You think they're about to go for it. And then it's like, that's the end of the film. Thank you very much. Shouldn't he have given those dog tags to Meg Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> and then to say, well, yeah, I'm now finished with them. If she'd given them to him, it would have, had, yeah. it would have been a bit more poignant. What a dick. You know, I haven't even mentioned it before, but um, 
again going on this theme of this film was saved in the edit one of the things the other the editors also said is the flying sequences as much as we admire them when they got the raw footage they were just like none of this tells any story so one of the things that they use which is fantastic in the film is that because their mouths are covered the whole time they could adr whatever they wanted which is exactly what they did Mm. so they just made these sequences told a story using just the footage that they had and we can't think about that now we just think that all this stuff would have been totally on point choreographed it was it was all storyboarded but the shots didn't match nothing really made sense so again testament to they did a, uh, a good job with the the last flight sequence as well. Basically, having the control room there as like a commentary team, again with the sports metaphor, yeah, they're yeah. basically telling you who is approaching who and at what distance and why that is important. So, guys, that's the end of Top Gun. I'm gonna say, tell me now what you think of this film or lose <laughs> me forever, Patrick Devlin. Would you recommend the- Top Gun? I would. I. I think it's been, I think we've not really hidden our cards that well in this episode, but I said it before, as an audience, this film flies by. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think the pacing of the film, especially, you know, it's very watchable. It's very watchable. It's, it's, the action is great and really gets you in, but it's just, it's an easy watch. I I really enjoyed it. Um, And I would recommend it. I, I like to recommend things based on, cinematic feats which i think the the aerial sequences are which is great and then because it's such a pop culture thing i think this film it uh still holds up in importance in today's pop culture and people should watch it for that to know to understand it and i like talking about the sexual connotations (laughs) in it as well because because it's it's rife isn't it and the music's great i think it looks good i think tony scott is definitely a visual director that that um, I like to watch how, how he puts things on screen. So yes, I would. And um, Devlin, I'm a little more lukewarm, but still recommended it. I do think in places it's very propulsive, and then in others it it hits it sort of drags. And I like that it seems to have a, a near total lack of irony, um, which makes it all all the funnier. To, to watch now um, and it is it's in and of itself it's essentially extremely shallow but it's an interesting thing to think about in the context of the culture where it came out and and how emblematic it was of like the mid 80s in general how about you Gal? Oh well we know Gary is going to recommend it but tell us why Gally go on yeah there's no surprises here is that um, I think this film Top Gun, it perfectly encapsulates the period we are now so nostalgic for within the 80s. You might argue Back to the Future or Terminator, Indiana Jones, but for me, it's Top Gun. It's, it's packaged like a Wrigley's advert. Do you know what I mean? It's like a Gillette advert in a way with the tight denim, the endless rock, the needless overdramatic love story. But for all its flaws, I can't deny warts and all. I bloody love this film. It's a definite recommend for me. It is a proper Friday night film with a pizza. And it and it is one of those switch your brain off and enjoy the ride. Uh, you can find Top Gun on streaming services, uh, Blu-ray, etc. So currently on 
Now TV and Sky Cinema. That's right, isn't it, Devlin? Uh, yeah, um, that's where I watched it. Yeah. I watched it on Now TV. Yeah, and it's available for purchase on Amazon Prime and the streaming service. I bought the Blu-ray from HMV. They've got an exclusive Blu-ray. I don't think it's that exclusive. It's just got all the special features on it. But I bought it for £7. Uh, if you're into this film, and you're also if you're interested in the filmmaking and how they actually uh, sort of came about with some of the flying sequences definitely worth getting and of course keep an eye on top gun 2 absolutely out probably next year I yeah think. i think it's next year yeah right well it's that time of the show and i'm i'm sat Uh-oh. oh in, in anticipation and also dread uh, so <laughs> devlin it's your choice for a throwback what are we watching next everyone at the moment is talking about comic book movies uh mm. this is the the general conversation seems to have gone uh very much everyone's gone mental for it uh which got me thinking about um one of my one of my real favorite uh comic book adaptations which is uh Terry Zwigoff's Ghost World I've never seen it oh, oh my great. god well okay well that'll be great then we've got a a, a different or well, a new perspective i'll tell you now devon i haven't seen that film in donks so yeah no looking forward to that one oh brilliant thora birch isn't it it is indeed yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone we will say our goodbyes uh, i hope you enjoy the outro music it's galley in glasgow call sign suvlaki signing out and devon in london I forgot my call sign. Also signing out. Uh, Patrick in London signing out with a new call sign at the end of the day. Marathon runner. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.